Hello, and thank you for joining us today. My name is Abby Cornette, and I'm the patient advocate for IG Living Magazine. This podcast is brought to you by IG Living Magazine to give readers an opportunity to hear from healthcare experts on topics important to them. In this episode, we will discuss the intricate process of producing immune globulin products, hereafter referred to as IG products. Today, we have guest speaker, Keith Berman. Keith has worked in the plasma therapeutics and blood therapies industry in a career spanning over three decades. He holds a bachelor's degree in biological science from UC Berkeley and an MBA in marketing and an MPH in health service management from UCLA. Beginning his career in the late 1980s, Keith started at what is now Takeda, where he supported IG product development and was involved in the successful U.S. launch of GammaGuard. His knowledge and experience in IG development, usage, and reimbursement have made him a trusted advisor in the industry. In addition to his consultancy work, since 1989, Keith has served as editor and writer of International Blood Plasma News, a monthly newsletter that covers the blood and plasma products industry. Hello, Keith. It's a real pleasure to have you here today. I have followed your work for years and thought you would be the perfect person to have as my guest today for today's topic. From plasma to healing, the intricacies journey of producing immunoglobulin products. Before we start, why don't you give our listeners a little background on yourself and how you became involved in plasma and blood therapies? Thanks for inviting me, Abby. And uh, I always talk about, uh, uh, enjoy talking about immune globulin therapies because they've been really a big part of my career. Uh, my story uh, really begins at UCLA Med Center uh, in 1981, uh, where I was working at the time as a lab research assistant for a young immunologist named Michael Gottlieb. Uh, I was running certain tests to evaluate immune function of infection-fighting cells isolated from hospitalized patients. One day, uh, Dr. Gottlieb uh, gave me the first of many samples from a few extremely ill patients with severe immunodeficiency and strange infections, and he cautioned me to handle them extra carefully. So it turns out that these uh, UCLA patients were the very first in the world to be diagnosed with AIDS, which Dr. Gottlieb and his colleagues reported to the uh, Centers for Disease Control in mid-1981. So I moved on to grad school in public health and business at UCLA, but that experience really stayed with me. Um, when I saw an ad after graduation for a position uh, working in marketing and product development for an LA area company developing a new immune therapy, I ditched my plan to work in hospital administration and joined Baxter Bioscience, which is now a part of Takeda. That product was GammaGuard, one of the first IVIG products launched in the 1980s, and I was hooked. Thank you, Keith. You know, that's, that's an amazing story. We know that intravenous and subcutaneous Ig are important therapeutics produced from plasma, but could you start out by giving our listeners the thirty thousand foot view? Yeah, Abby, I know this podcast is all about how Ig products are produced, but I'd like to take a moment to mention just how unique these products are. When I started in the mid nineteen eighties, IVIG was prescribed uh, to people with primary immunodeficiencies who needed regular infusions of Ig antibodies to protect them against serious bacterial infections. And it was used to treat a rare autoimmune disorder that wipes out our blood platelets called ITP. But 30 years and literally thousands of clinical studies and case reports later, 
IG is prescribed to treat or prevent literally dozens of disorders that range from autoimmune neuropathies like CIDP and myasthenia gravis to autoimmune inflammatory disorders like dermatomyositis and stiff person syndrome to secondary immunodeficiency disorders that are caused by powerful drugs like Remicade that suppress a patient's ability to produce infection-fighting antibodies. So as we've learned about more and more conditions that IG can effectively treat, the demand for IVIG and SCIG products just just kept growing. Uh, The very first IVIG product was approved in the early 1980s. By 1990, the industry produced a little less than 7 million grams. By 2010, demand had increased sixfold to 42 million grams. And today, the yearly U.S. demand for IVIG and SCIG together has nearly tripled again to more than 115 million grams. No other licensed class of drugs or biotherapeutics has ever seen this kind of growth over a period that stretches now almost 40 years. It's simply unheard of. But there is a very basic reason. The IV or subcutaneous IG that your listeners use or prescribe isn't really a drug or a single protein like insulin for diabetics or factor eight for management of hemophilia. IG is actually thousands of of IgG antibodies purified from the plasma of many thousands of healthy donors. So while it's actually one of five types of immunoglobulins present in our blood and tissues, IgG accounts for about three quarters of all our circulating immunoglobulin And it's the most important immunoglobulin for fighting infections and regulating our immune function. So it's really not surprising that usage of IVIG and SCIG has steadily grown over the last 40 years because it's much more than just a drug or biological. One can think of it as almost half of the healthy immune system concentrated in glass vials. Of course, uh, other important proteins are also purified from donor plasma, including C1 esterase inhibitor for treatment of a rare condition called hereditary amgiogema, albumin for uh, patients with severe liver disease or to replace blood volume in major surgeries, and alpha-1 antitrypsin for people with hereditary emphysema. But the product that dictates how much plasma needs to be collected and processed is Ig, about 85% of which is made into IVIG products and about 15% into subcutaneous immune globulin products. But other than their concentration, IVIG IVIG and SCIG are the same stuff. IgG antibodies purified from donor plasma. So how important are IVIG and SCIG to the manufacturers of plasma proteins? Today, IG products alone account for two-thirds of the industry's total revenues from plasma processing, or what's generally known as plasma fractionation. All the other plasma proteins together add up to the remaining one-third of revenues. Close to a quarter million Americans of all ages will receive or self-administer an IG product this year. So just like any other therapeutic, product safety is of paramount importance to patients, ordering physicians, manufacturers, and the Food and Drug Administration. And as I'll get to in a moment, um, the industry and the FDA have very successfully partnered for many years to assure the safety of every licensed IG product. Thank you for that, that information. My, my next question is about plasma donation. Can you please tell us, our listeners, where donations come from and what's done to assure the uh, viral safety? Sure. Uh, well, just as IG demand has grown year after year, so has the need for the donor plasma that it's made from. 
uh, each roughly pint and a half plasma donation yields about roughly three grams of IgG antibody, which means that today, Ig manufacturers collectively need more than 35 million individual plasma donations to produce enough Ig to meet our domestic needs. To put this in context, that's around three times the number of whole blood donations that the Red Cross and independent blood banks collect each year. About 10% of the plasma acquired by manufacturers is actually recovered plasma separated from whole blood given by healthy volunteer donors at local blood donation centers and blood drives around the country. Plasma fractionators purchase this surplus recovered plasma that's above and beyond what hospitals need for direct transfusion into surgical and other patients. The remaining 90% of the plasma supply is called source plasma, which comes from healthy compensated individuals who donate at more than 1,000 licensed plasma collection centers across the US. So the industry heavily relies on compensated plasma donors to produce the IG products needed by patients both here in the US and abroad. But whether it's source or recovered plasma, before it's ever delivered to manufacturers to be pooled with other units and processed into IG, two key events happen at the outset to ensure its viral safety. These first two safety pillars are donor selection and donor testing for viral pathogens. So each potential plasma or whole blood donor is asked to complete a screening questionnaire to verify that he or she is in good health and to rule out personal or medical history that's associated with increased risk of exposure to one of the three major viruses, hepatitis B, hepatitis C, and HIV. Anyone who has donated blood or platelets is very familiar with this first safety pillar. But this is unquestionably just the start because donor selection reduces the risk of possible pathogen transmission by only about tenfold. The second pillar of Ig safety is direct testing of the donor plasma itself in two phases. First, each plasma unit is tested for hepatitis B, hepatitis C, and HIV 1 and 2 using conventional viral antigen and antibody screening tests. Then a number of plasma units are combined into mini pools and tested again for these same viruses, plus hepatitis A and parvovirus B19, using a special technology called nucleic acid amplification testing, or NAT for short. These are the same steps, by the way, used by blood suppliers like the Red Cross to increase the level of assurance that donated blood and platelets are free from these blood transmissible viruses before they're released to hospitals for transfusion. After this testing is completed, the risk that a unit of plasma is contaminated with any of the hepatitis viruses or HIV is well, other, well under one in a million. So each plasma unit then is then frozen and held in quarantine for 60 days to allow what's called look back and to assure that the subsequent donation from that same individual doesn't test positive for one of these viruses. This further reduces any risk that the would-be donor gave plasma just days after contracting a viral infection, or what's called the window period, where even NAT testing may not be sensitive enough to detect just a few circulating viruses. And then finally, any prospective donor who does test positive for any of these viruses is added to a national donor deferral registry, which is a database of permanently deferred plasma donors. In other words, these individuals are barred from ever donating plasma, donating plasma for fractionation into Ig. 
Keith, after the plasma is tested and it goes to the manufacturing for processing, manufacturer for processing into IG, what happens to the, uh, the product next? Excellent question, Abby. Um, all of these tested units of plasma then are frozen and shipped to manufacturers where they're thawed and pooled into huge batches for fractionation or separation into different proteins, including IG. I should mention that pooling all these units also provides a very important protective benefit for patients with primary and secondary antibody immunodeficiencies because every IG product is prepared from plasma from many thousands of donors. They and their physician can be confident that it includes significant quantities or titers of IgG antibodies against the widest possible spectrum of serious infection-causing bacteria. Now, the process to make Ig and other therapeutic proteins begins. We can think of it as a sequence involving two basic activities, crude separation of proteins by precipitation from the solution, followed, by, followed up by further protein purification. There are differences from one manufacturer to the next, but most start by doing a freeze-thaw step that removes a rich concentrate of fibrinogen and other clotting factors called cryoprecipitate. That fibrinogen may be purified into fibrinogen concentrate or used to make fibrin sealants used in surgeries. The cryoprecipitated depleted plasma contains everything else, including IgG. Next comes the protein fractionation steps that were first developed by a Harvard biochemist named Edwin Kahn back in the 1940s. The cryodepleted plasma is mixed with cold ethanol, the same alcohol that we enjoy in wine, beer, and spirits, at a specific temperature and acid-base conditions to precipitate IgG and other immunoglobulins from the liquid phase. This precipitate is called fraction two plus three. A second precipitation step using a different concentration of ethanol and temperature brings down fraction two, which mostly contains our IgG. Some processes do this differently and actually precipitate everything else and leave the IgG in the solution, or what's called the supernatant. What follows also varies by product and manufacturer, but virtually all processes take advantage of a method called anion exchange chromatography to capture and remove impurities from the IgG-rich fraction two that's been resuspended in solution. It's basically a column with a material attached to it that has a strong affinity for molecules with negative surface charges. And since IgG has a positive surface charge, it flows through the column while those impurities stay behind. Now, in the particular case of gaminex and Privigen, a chemical called caprylic acid or caprylate is introduced to fraction two and plus three to precipitate impurities, followed by anion exchange chromatography to further, further purify the IgG. With GammaGuard, cation exchange chromatography is additionally used to bind the IgG and allow impurities to flow through before the anion exchange chromatography step. I think you get the idea. I, that, that was really good, Keith. Uh, really good explanation. Um, thank you. you. You know, earlier you mentioned the three-legged safety tripod. Is this where the third leg comes in? Yes, or what we call the three safety pillars, okay? Um, and so that third pillar uh, is so important. As important as the first two are for product safety, 
This is by far the most robust of the three safety pillars. And it's actually a combination of a number of individual virus removal and inactivation steps. Each cold ethanol caprolate precipitation, filtration, and chromatography step along the way to our final IgG product works to separate any viruses that might have been introduced by a donor unit that somehow escaped detection through testing. Every IgG Every IG production process also includes a special nanofiltration step, which is a lot, which is a step that allows the IgG to pass through tiny filter holes, but catches and blocks viruses that are too big to pass through. Then, for good measure, each IG manufacturing process incorporates a potent viral inactivation step. It's either it's either solvent detergent treatment to dissolve the lipid coat on lipid envelope viruses or it's a very low pH incubation step that denatures viral proteins. Now, can you take us through the last steps um, of the, formula, uh, the formulation and bottling these IG products go through and how they get to the clinics and home infusion providers? Absolutely. Um, so first off, no preservatives are added to our final sterile IgG concentrate at all, but a stabilizer is added to keep the IgG antibodies happily intact and free from clumping to each other. The stabilizer of choice for most products is glycine, which is an amino acid that's a, a protein building block. Uh, one Ig product actually uses L-proline, a different amino acid, and, and one product uses maltose, which is a disaccharide made up of two glucose molecules. A few products also incorporate polysorbate 80, which is a surfactant used in a lot of pharmaceuticals and foods. The IgG concentrates finally go to the filling line where they're aseptically added to vials or pre-filled syringes. This sounds simple, but the filling line involves state-of-the-art technology that, to assure that the fills are accurate and there's absolute assurance of sterility. The vials are then sealed, labeled, and packaged in containers that include features designed to make them tamper evident to the user. For example, Privagen, GammaGuard Liquid, Gamunex C, and GammaKid uh, all have a tamper evident, tamper evident cap. Some products additionally come with a tamper evident shrink band. To reduce the chance of uh, product counterfeiting, Several manufacturers actually laser etch their IG vials with identifying numbers and the barcode. Now the products are finally ready to ship. Most product is sold to major distributors like FFF Enterprises, but it gets sold and shipped directly to the end hospital or specialty infusion providers sometimes as well. Um, the end customers for most subcutaneous immunoglobulin products are specialty pharmacies like New Factor which are responsible for managing the supply that goes to each patient for self-infusion and um, for billing insurers. These days, roughly 40% of, of IVIG goes to hospitals where it's mostly administered in outpatient infusion clinics, and a similar share goes to specialty pharmacies. The balance is purchased and administered by non-hospital clinics and infusion centers. Now, Abby, uh, I really wanted to uh, leave the best part of the IG manufacturing story for last. As I mentioned at the outset, the pathogen safety of these products is and always will be paramount for this industry and the FDA regulators responsible for its oversight. The three pillars of safety we talked about earlier 
have stood the test of time. Over the last 30 years and millions of infusions, there have been no reports of infection or viral transmission of any kind associated with any licensed IVIG or SCIG product. That's a record that provides assurance to providers and peace of mind to everyone who relies on an IG therapy. Keith, it has been a real pleasure to have you with us here today. Um, you, you did a wonderful job of explaining the intricate process of IG production. And I'm sure our listeners found it highly informative. And I, I personally learned a lot today. Again, I really want to thank you and thank you for your contributions to the whole industry. Thank you again for joining us today. Additional information regarding this podcast can be found on our website at www.igliving.com. If you have a question that was not answered, please contact me at acornet at igliving.com and look for the next IG Living podcast announcement on our website for the opportunity to submit your questions. IG Living Advocate is a copyright production of IG Living Magazine published by FFF Enterprises, the only magazine for immunoglobin community comprised of patients who suffer from chronic illness and their caregivers.